0: Presented by DogNation.com. This is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Boy, so great to have you with us for the program here today. Day two from our new studio, and we're feeling really good about that. And I want to begin this way, if you don't mind. I was thinking about this. Y'all know I'm not. Like NFL expert. Now, y'all may say I'm not an expert on anything, and you may be right to say that, but I am definitely not an NFL expert. But this time of year, we're all watching pro football. And <laughs> listen, I'm just like anybody else. You know, I watch something for five minutes. I feel like I've got the whole thing figured out, and I watch a little bit of playoff football, and I sort of figure I got the whole NFL figured out. This is, you know, I, I'm, I'm very certain in my mind whether I'm right or not. Some of y'all may maybe know how that feels a little bit, but the best that I can tell. There are two ways to truly win big in the NFL. I believe I've said this before, but there are two ways to win big in the NFL. You can be a team that's sort of totally built around quarterback, the way I would say the Kansas City Chiefs are. In fact, I don't know that we've seen – like you know, this sort of great tier of quarterbacks, the way that Patrick Mahomes is in. I don't know that we've seen a team be more quarterback dependent than I believe the Chiefs are, because the Chiefs don't have a great defense. They really don't have much in the way of like wide receivers. Now Travis Kelsey gets a lot of attention, but I don't think he's as good a player now as he was years ago. It's amazing to me how dependent seemingly the Kansas City Chiefs are. For uh, on on Patrick Mahomes for the success that they enjoy that's sort of one archetype for how you win in the NFL you are almost solely totally dependent on great play from a very expensive franchise style quarterback the flip side of that is kind of what i believe the San Francisco 49ers are You have good, competent quarterback play, but it comes from a guy on sort of a rookie contract, very inexpensive, that sort of gives you dollars that you can spend other places. That's sort of what Brock Purdy is right now for the San Francisco 49ers, and it's sort of what I would say Jalen Hurts would have been last year for the Philadelphia Eagles, who were in last year's Super Bowl. That's the other way to win. You either have very good quarterback that you spend huge on and you really lean heavily on him or you have very cheap, inexpensive quarterback that gives you a chance to sort of lean on other elements of your roster. One of those two things, either the most expensive quarterback or the cheapest quarterback, that seems to be the sort of two ways you can win in the NFL. Now, my reason for saying that is if you use those archetypes as a way of describing college football, I would say for the most part in the Kirby Smart era, we have sort of thought of Uh, uh, Georgia in more the category of what, i say, San Francisco is trying to do with Brock Purdy right now or what Philadelphia would have tried to do last year with Jalen Hurts. We've sort of thought of Georgia as a team that likes to – If you're thinking about this from a salary camp standpoint, de emphasize the role of quarterback while it heavily emphasizes the role of the other position groups. Georgia has been kind of what I would think of as sort of a decentralized program. There's not a lot of attention put on any one player, especially the one player at the most important position, quarterback. Georgia's sort of always been this program, even at the best versions of Georgia in 2021 and 2022. Even those best versions of Georgia they have kind of come with balance. Really good on offense and really good on defense. Really good at every position group on both sides of the ball. That's sort of what Georgia has been. But – I do think that as you look ahead to 2024 for UGA, I do think that you consider the possibility that Georgia in 2024 is going to be a little bit more like the Kansas City Chiefs-style archetype where quarterback plays sort of an outsized role. Now, this is not my way of saying that Carson Beck is going to be as good as Patrick Mahomes. That's not the sort of pull quote I'm looking to have come out of today's show. But in terms of the way that the Chiefs are built – I do think there's a chance that Georgia is going to be a little bit more like that in the upcoming season, where the 2024 national title hopes for Georgia probably rest more on a quarterback's shoulders than they have at any point in time thus far in the Kirby Smart era. And to kind of bolster that point, you can look at the Heisman odds that are currently out there right now, and that gives you an idea of this. Now, quick disclaimer, Heisman odds at this point in time of the year almost never proved to be accurate the favorites to win the award almost never do so from that standpoint uh carson beck may be doomed uh you know just given how high he ranks on the list here but if you look at and I just chose FanDuel this morning I could have chosen any uh uh, you know sports book FanDuel's not a sponsor I just sort of grabbed this but according to FanDuel right now you've got two returning starters Quinn Ewers and Carson Beck they're both at seven and a half to one to win this year's Heisman Trophy that puts them ahead of Dylan Gabriel now at Oregon of 10 to one Will Howard now at Ohio State of 12 to one Jalen Milroe still the starting quarterback for now in Alabama. He's 12 to 1 and then the newcomer Nico Emaleva who uh, you know started for Tennessee in the bowl game, he is at 15 to 1. So you've kind of got Milroe up of sort of returning starter level players and then Emaleva down you sort of get to some of the newcomers there. But right now uh, Carson Beck along with viewers, these are the two heavy favorites to win this year's Heisman Trophy. That's not a position that Georgia always finds itself in when it comes to, you know, you know, this type of thing here. That sort of gives you a little bit of an idea of perhaps that Georgia this year could be a little bit more quarterback driven than it's been in the past. And I think that makes for an interesting comparison of well, okay. Well, if these are the best quarterbacks on paper right now, Ewers and Beck and you know, Gabriel at Oregon, uh, you know uh, Howard now at Ohio State. If these are thought to be the best quarterbacks in the country, you know what is the potential advantage that Carson Beck could have over those guys? The one thing I will definitely say is, you know, we talked a lot about Ohio State yesterday, and there's been a lot of chatter about them. Over the course of the last few days because of all they've allegedly spent on NIL. If you're comparing, like, say, Howard playing what's thought to be a quarterback-friendly system for Ohio State to Carson Beck playing in Georgia, the one thing that we know Beck has as a huge advantage is his offensive line. Ohio State, one of the huge divisions they'll still be dealing with here this upcoming season, is along the offensive line. I would say that's also probably true for, you know, how good is Oregon's offensive line going to be this year? How good, you know, given the departures, how good is Alabama's offensive line going to be? To be this year, given what Georgia has held on to. Now, admittedly, they've also lost some stuff there, too. Uh, you know, you lose a tackle, you lose a center, you lose some important pieces— But boy, the depth waiting in the wings for George along the offensive line is probably as good as probably the envy of the entire country, almost for sure. That's the one advantage that Beck could have compared to the other top quarterbacks. He may just be playing uh, behind a much better offensive line than these other quarterbacks are playing for. But that is perhaps not the only advantage Carson Beck has. And last night, another guy who sort of knows what it feels like to play quarterback at Georgia, JT Daniels. He was on, on the beat with Mike Griffith. Wide-ranging conversation. Worth your time to go see it on the Dog Nation YouTube page. But there was one point in particular that I thought was interesting from Daniels last night in being asked about what he has seen from Carson Beck and what he thinks the differentiator for Carson Beck is in terms of what's allowed him to have the success that he enjoyed. Very good starting quarterback in 2023. And also a guy that's the shortlist favorite to win the Heisman Trophy in 2024, When JT Daniels, on with Mike Griffith last night, was asked to sort of talk about what separates Carson Beck, the thing that Daniels mentioned is probably not the thing that I would have sort of thought of, first and foremost, about Beck. But this is what Daniels says makes Carson Beck different than he was as a quarterback, but also different than other top quarterbacks in the sport right now. Interesting stuff from JT Daniels on Carson Beck. Take a listen to this.
1: He's got one thing that I that I never had. He's a he's a little more athletic than I am, but he has the he has the just athletic enough. And uh, if you watched the Bama game, you saw it two or three times. You saw it all throughout the year with him. Um, he's he's obviously elite and efficient in the pocket, uh, and that was that was never going to be a question with him. But what he has is he has two or three third downs a game that he picks up on the ground. Um, you know when you get drop eight or you get two man without a spy um Carson I, was, I saw him take off for third and six third and eight third nine um and you get two third downs like that that can be a 14 point difference that wins and loses games
0: uh and, and that's something that he has um that takes him a step above the standard pocket guy I think that's fascinating evaluation from JT Daniels there that Carson Beck his separator is his athleticism now we would say and in so many words Daniel says this too well Beck is not the most athletic quarterback in fact. You know, of the quarterbacks we just compared him to in terms of the current Heisman favorites, all quarterbacks, um, there are a handful of those quarterbacks who we would say, you know, those, those guys are more athletic than Beck is. They're more accomplished, more capable runners than Carson Beck is. So why is Beck's athleticism such a differentiator if he's not even the most athletic quarterback among all these others? And I would say it's the phrase that uh, Daniels uses that describes that well, which is he may not be the most athletic, but he's athletic enough. And that really matters. You know, that, that that idea of I may not be as athletic as the most athletic, but when you use and see my athleticism paired with my ability to throw the football, all of a sudden I'm athletic enough to cause an extra problem for you because of how worried you are. But the other things I can do well, the sort of, uh, I guess, analogy I'd make here is if you're a baseball fan, you grew up watching Greg Maddox, you know, Mannix could take a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, which by Major League standards is pretty slow. He could take that 90-mile-an-hour fastball and throw it right by you, especially if it was in the inside corner of the plate because guys would be choked up on the bat looking out or half for a breaking ball, and all of a sudden when that fastball comes on the inner part of the plate, all of a sudden they are absolutely frozen, even though it's 10 miles an hour slower than what the, the fastest pitchers would throw because you're thinking about something else and you're surprised by what you get. And that's what JT Daniels says that Carson Beck does really well. He gets you thinking about one thing, his ability to distribute the football. And then when you turn your back to him, all of a sudden now, a couple of times a game, as he said, he's sneaking over and running for those first downs. And it may not be the fastest runner. And it may not be the prettiest stride. But if it moves the chains a couple of times a game, as JT said, that can go to add up to a couple of extra touchdowns, which can be an absolute backbreaker. Breaker. Now, when we talked to uh, Carson Beck back at the uh, Orange Bowl in Miami and he was reflecting on all the things he had done this season, that is actually one of the things he reflected on about how it is that he grew to be you know, as accomplished of a runner as he proved to be this year and kind of wise about when to do it, when not to. The experience he gained as the season progressed apparently helped Beck in that regard. This is fun from Carson. This is what he said in Miami. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a huge thing as far as, like, playing the game again, you know, week week one, two, like, I'm like, okay, when do I take off, when do I not, when do I take a sack, when do I throw the ball away, because, like, in practice, I'm not getting hit, so, like, half the time, I'm just sitting in the pocket trying to work on progressions, reads, you know, I might slide over to the left or right every now and then, but as you continue to, you know, play week to week and, you know, start feeling the pressure, know, okay, there's the gap, like, I'm going to take off, you um, It's just a field thing at that point. So what Beck is saying there, his ability to run the football became a byproduct of the comfort and growth that he saw himself undergo over the course of a season. I talk to high school football coaches all the time. That's one of the things they'll also say as well of if you ask them, how do you know your quarterback is coming along the way you want him to? How do you know your quarterback is growing into the role of being a starter? one of the things i've heard several different high school coaches say is is they say something to the effect of he's just moving faster if you've ever like tried to play golf you know you know You're learning the game. You're very mechanical. You're very stiff. I probably still probably play the game a little too stiff. But you know, uh, when you first start out, you definitely feel that way. Or if you're trying to do something for the first time, you're just moving stiff. You know, you're just you're a little ginger. You're just not quite so sure yourself. But the more comfortable you get, the faster you move. And Carson Beck said there, as I got comfortable. You know, being a starting quarterback in the SEC at a place like Georgia, I just started moving faster. And that speed gave me a chance to also run occasionally and, you know, get a few first downs, move the chains, and keep drives alive, very, very valuable commodity. Now, the point we're all building to is this, that if the rushing ability that Beck showed this past year, the thing that JT Daniels last night on Dog Nation said made Beck a kind of a different type of quarterback here this year, if that's an example of his growth, then let's think for a moment about how much more Beck could grow here this season. Already thought to be on paper – uh, you know, maybe the best quarterback in the entire sport. But as Carson Beck says it, that doesn't mean he doesn't have room for even more improvement. In fact, Beck actually expects himself to improve a lot more in this upcoming season. If you're a UGA fan, you love this. Once again, Carson Beck. There's so many things that I can improve on um, and just continue to get better at. And even the confidence piece of just going out there and believing in this team, believing in myself, um, and understanding exactly what defenses are trying to do. Um, but I think that there can be a huge. For for years here. I love it. I, I love it. And if you're a Georgia fan, I think you love it too. We saw Carson Beck become a more confident quarterback as this past season rolled on. And as he became more confident, no doubt about it, he got better as well. And now in 2024, his final year at UGA, his final chance to, as he described also in Miami, take care of that unfinished business, win a national championship, impress those NFL draft scouts, and perhaps be sort of a front-end first-round pick type player. Beck says he's got more room to gain even more confidence as all of that goes on. And that confidence will be to the benefit of UGA and UGA fans, as they get a chance to watch Georgia this year be led by a quarterback in a way that's pretty rare in the Kirby Smart era, but could be a lot of fun. Can't wait for this fall to get here my name is brandon Adams, and this is dog nation daily the daily podcast for georgia bulldogs fans we're glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us we start 9 45 on our first and 15 dognation.com the dog nation app that's live commentary right there on our own platform there at dognation.com great chance for you to be a part of that 10 a.m we're across all video platforms and there's been a lot of chatter lately about having a new studio and things like that obviously one of the reasons why we had to move to a new studio as you were aware, we had a little bit of issues in our previous home there for a while. Some of the streaming stuff, who knows? You know, Gremlins get into the system, whatever else, but boy, it feels great to now have this robust signal to stream from every single day and having a chance to be back live with you at 10 a.m. every day there as well. Man, I love all of that, so glad. To be able to do that. And of course, radio, podcast, uh, glad to have you join us on audio there too. Just a whole lot of fun. Now, we got a big show coming up. I want to take care of a couple of pieces of business before we get there, though, if you don't mind. So, today is January 30. That means that tomorrow we run smack dab into the deadline for you to sign up to be a part. Uh, of your chance to win a giveaway courtesy of Kroger to join us on the Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. Now, you know all about this. It's a lure of the seas, you know, leaving out of uh, Port Canaveral, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. You know all of that, and you also know that Kroger wants somebody from our audience to have a chance to win their way onto the Dog Nation cruise. I'm in a stateroom for two people on the cruise, a hotel room the night before there in the Port Canaveral area, which is where the ports uh the where the ship is leaving from, uh, a gas card to help you get to Port Canaveral, some onboard credit to enjoy while you're on board, uh, a lure of the seas, Kroger wants somebody in our audience to be a winner of that. Just a kind of a cool nice thing they're doing to sort of take care of folks here. They are all uh, about all of that. And so if you go to dognation.com, you got one more day to do this, one more day. The deadline is tomorrow the 31st, so we're kind of like in that sort of final 24-hour period here. Register for your chance to win. Just simply give us your information, and then we'll also ask you your favorite Brock Bowers moment from his time at UGA. Just sort of a fun way to kind of put a little bit of a cap on this, and then from all the entries we receive, we're going to draw one at random, and that person, along with the guest going to join us in April on board Allure of the Seas, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. So make sure you check that out. Now, let me be clear about one thing. While we have a 24-hour deadline to register for your chance to win the uh, cruise, courtesy of Kroger, that is not the final deadline to sign up to be a part of the cruise uh, with us on board Allure of the Seas and Royal Caribbean. We are almost to the end on that. There's like a few days left. Uh so you got to if you want to be a part of the Dog Nation cruise you got to act right now to make sure you're in on that because we're very very close to having that all squared away but for the giveaway your chance to win that is tomorrow the deadline for the cruise is coming up pretty quickly here, too, but not quite there on that. And one more note on all of this. If you're signed up for the cruise already, you can still register for your chance to win the Dog Nation cruise courtesy of Kroger. If you do win, we'll just simply kind of credit your cruise back to you. No no problem there on that. So you're still eligible for all of that. So sign up for the cruise. Try for your chance to win. And if you don't win, you're still getting a chance to be with us on the Dog Nation cruise, which is certainly a very, very good thing. Obviously, a lot of y'all know I just got back from Icon kind of the Seas, had such a good time. And it just gets me that much more excited about being on board Allure of the Seas with all of you coming up in April. Cannot wait for that. I also can't wait to talk to Connor Riley here coming up in a moment. That's going to be a lot of fun. Before we do that, though, let's go around the doghouse here for a moment. And. I want to do something that I probably should have been doing a lot more anyway. Because if you want to go back to December and you're watching in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. By the way, great to have the state championship games for the Georgia back in Mercedes-Benz Stadium this past year. But if you're watching those games, I think one of the things that you probably noticed, if you're watching for like you know top level college prospects, guys on their way to Georgia. Was there anybody over the course of that period of, what, three days, four days, however long it was, was there anybody who was more impressive than DeBello Jones? Now, Swainsboro did not win the state championship, but Jones, man, he played great against Prince Avenue Christian, really kind of capping off a great year where he did did just a little bit of everything, seemingly for Swainsboro. And in terms of how he looked in his uniform, how he moved around, I thought that Jones was perhaps as impressive as anybody that I saw. I don't really pretend to be a scout, that's not really the hat that I wear, but to my eyes, just a football fan watching football games, I thought DeMello Jones was pretty dadgum impressive. And it's great to see now the industry starting to notice some of that too. A lot of you are aware of this. Our friends over at On3 have kind of done a little bit of a re-rank. Not particularly kind to all Georgia players necessarily, uh, future Georgia players, Georgia signees. Some Georgia fans a little bit bothered by that. That's a yearly occurrence, it seems, when it comes to all these you know, fan bases and recruiting uh, outlets, things like that. But we'll focus on the positive here for a moment. On three now ranks uh, DeMello Jones as its number 21 overall prospect and now a five-star for the class of 2024. So Jones is one of those guys that, you know, a list, a list of prospects like what Georgia has, there are always going to be a few guys that sort of fly under the radar a little bit. I think Jones had kind of been one of those guys. But under the radar no more, if you were a newly minted five-star from our friends over at on three and now the number 21 overall player that's going to put him right there alongside you know still a little bit below the likes of ellis robinson but kind of right there alongside of kj Bolden and others this is you know kind of now ranking jones literally among the very best players in the entire country that is a great thing to see and we're going to do more of this with connor riley in a moment but it sort of also opens up a conversation about how these newcomers robinson bolden Demelo Jones, too, take him very seriously in all of this, how these new guys kind of impact the competition in the Georgia secondary for this upcoming season. Let's go back to signing day here for a moment. Kirby Smart talked about that, what he likes about Jones, what he likes about the guys joining Jones in this class, both the tangible and the intangible part of what they bring to the table. Here is Kirby on some of those signees, the newly minted five-star Demelo Jones included. They all got good speed. Demello's a track guy, can run. Andre Evans can run. Uh, Ellis can run, and and KJ runs track and can run. They're all four got great speed. They're, They're all tremendous character kids. I mean, like like. They're fun to be around. Demello is a fun guy to be around. Those other guys are fun guys to be around, and you know they'll have growth to do. They'll have to grow up, but we're in need at that position. We're under our, our, our what I call our quota. We're under our quota there, and they're going to get thrust into some opportunities to get to go out there and and play and compete. By the way, beautiful video there of Demello Jones from our colleagues at the AJC from when Demello was a Elite Eleven at the uh, Super Eleven at the beginning of the year. So. Uh, Good stuff there on Jones and a very interesting description there from Kirby Smart in terms of what he brings off the field. Sounds like a a guy that's pretty fun to be around. And what he brings on the field, obviously blazing speed, but... I don't know. I just like the way he looks in the uniform. I like his size. I just, I just like the way that he plays. He's got a lot of moxie. And now being uh, recognized as a five-star, I'd like to see that as well. We'll make that around the doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily. Now, before we're done, more interesting news around the rest of the SEC that we want to cover with you a little bit, including a little bit of a controversial hire uh, made by one SEC program that seems to court controversy on a regular basis. We'll talk about all of that here coming up. But for now, The latest as it relates to Georgia. How does DeMello Jones fit into the picture for you, GA? And how about those big-time position battles about to take place as uh, spring practice just lurks a little bit around the corner here? Let's cover all of those bases and more. Let's talk to Connor Riley here today on Dog Nation Daily. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Connor Riley joining us here on Dog Nation Daily. And we did this with John yesterday. We'll do it with Connor now. You know, for a long time, we've just sort of done... You know, phone with the gas. We try to make things as simple as, as possible, trying not to be too uh, fussy about stuff. But, uh, you know, new technology, new era, probably time for us to start doing more of this on video anyway, especially when you got handsome faces like the one that Connor Riley brings to the table here. So, you know, from that standpoint, we're glad to be able to see Connor now, radio podcast, which is still a significant portion of the audience. They don't know the difference here, uh, but it also sounds better as well. So, Connor, we appreciate you turning the camera on and being with us here today. And it's good to talk to you. I feel like it's been a while for you and me here, but I'm glad to be able to do that with you. Here today.
1: Yeah, you were on vacation last week enjoying a lovely cruise from our friends at Royal Caribbean. And while, unfortunately, for the video audience, I have a face for radio, glad to be on here with you in person.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to have you here there as well. And I guess let's start with this if you don't mind. I, I love seeing DeMello Jones being ranked as a five star by On Three. I don't pretend to be a scout. They're Probably plenty of things I hopefully do well, you know, scouting football players, not necessarily one of them. But when I watched him during the state championship, which was the only time I really saw him here this year, man, I was really impressed by him. I thought he looked good in the uniform. I thought he really, I mean, just tight coverage, obviously ran really well. And so I liked what I'd seen from him during a state championship. And I, I love the idea of a guy that I don't think has gotten as much credit as other Georgia signees now being recognized as a five star. I think that's a, a really cool thing. What did you make of the fact that Jones seemingly now post signing with UGA getting a little bit more attention as a recruit than perhaps he got at times during his process?
1: Yeah, I think it's a recognition of how well he played in that state championship game for Swainsboro where he was the best player on the field and did just about everything he could to try and drag that team to a state championship. Uh, You know, he didn't get a lot of coverage down there in Swainsboro. It's not a big school. And, and, thus, you know, I think for a while, a lot of those guys from that area of the state maybe go under ranked and under recruited a little bit. So it's good to see a guy like DeMello Jones sort of get a bump there. Uh, he's a guy that I think, as anyone who saw in that state title game, can do a lot of different things. And I know he's going to start out playing cornerback for Georgia. It wouldn't surprise if maybe he moves to safety. But the fact that he might be able to play both cornerback and safety for Georgia, I think, speaks to what Georgia is getting in DeMello Jones here. And for a lot of teams in the country, you know, DeMello Jones wouldn't be seen as an under-the-radar uh, signing. But yeah. Ellis Robinson, the number one overall cornerback in the country, and you land K.J. Bolden, the number one ranked safety in the country. Uh, You can understand how a guy like Jones maybe falls through the cracks a little bit, but the guy doesn't do a lot of interviews, but is a guy that Kirby Smart was really excited to land. It was a big recruiting win for Georgia, and so to get to have him come in and the fact that he's enrolled early and is going to be able to make an impact – for these teams, even if it's just on special teams right away, is something that I think he's going to be able to help this team out with in 2024.
0: We don't have to do a tremendous deep dive on this, but I'm just sort of curious, generally speaking, how you feel like things sort of shake out for the – recruiting rankings in general here. It seems like Riddell, the tight is kind of sliding down a little bit. Frazier may have slid down a little bit. You know, Ellis Robinson by, you know, the other side of this, he's gonna end up being, you know, about as highly rated a signing as George has almost ever had. Um, you know, what do you make of kind of how things are sort of settling in with these 2024 Sunnies for Georgia overall. Admittedly, none of this matters at all. It's what they do during spring practice that's going to truly matter. But this is still the kind of thing that we sometimes enjoy sort of uh, debating here a little bit. How do you sort of, uh, I guess, big picture view the way in which these 2024 Sunnies are perceived for the Dogs?
1: Yeah, with the on three ranking update yesterday, I believe the number that I saw was like on three is lowest on the of the four major recruiting services of 13 of the 28 Georgia signees and yet you know we'll take Jane Riddell for example I know on three had a major drop of him I don't care one bit at all what you know the ranking service at on three the, the guys who watched them and have seen because when I saw Jane Riddell with my own eyes down there at the Orange Bowl that was a guy that looked like someone who's potentially going to be able to help Georgia out in his first season with the size and speed that he moves with. And and you can point to, oh, he was playing against guys in Missouri. Uh, I don't believe Riddell went and played at one of the All-American Bowls, and that, I think, factors so much into what guys look for in in terms of, you know, seeing these guys in person. And and so, you know, and even someone like Nate Frazier, who by all accounts had a pretty strong All-American game, he ends up dropping in the rankings as well, Uh, you know, It's, I guess, a good barometer for where guys potentially are. But, you know, and we talk about this as much as anything. I think these rankings now sort of indicate maybe who, you know, fan bases latch on to early and discuss and talk and think about. But, I mean, you know, with the Senior Bowl this week down in Mobile and with Mike Griffith and Kaylee Menzel down there covering it, the two guys that are going to be highest drafted out of that group from Georgia were Ladd McConkey and Javon Bullard, guys who I believe Javon was like maybe the number 800 overall ranked prospect and Ladd was in the thousands when he came out in 2020. So I, I think with Georgia, like, yeah, you might not be thrilled that some of these guys are dropping in the rankings, but I think you've seen with what Kirby Smart has been able to do from a development standpoint, a lot of these guys, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if you're going to see them go ahead and outperform some of those rankings. And, you know, like Brock Bowers was – For most parts, a, a, you know, top, a fringe top 100 player. I know on three, after the fact that he had already enrolled, went back and like re-ranked him as a five-star, even though on three didn't exist at that point in time. But I think Brock Bowers is maybe the poster child of, yeah, sometimes these recruiting rankings just happen to miss on players and they're able to come in and star right away. So I'm not saying Jaden Riddell is going to be that, but some of the guys that did take big drops yesterday, the fact that they're already on campus is going to do a lot more for them than whether they finished as a five-star in the final industry rankings.
0: We talked about Carson Beck today before you joined us, and you've said on our show in the past that you think that Beck has a chance to be the number one overall pick uh, in the 2025 NFL draft. And that's the kind of thing that sometimes sort of sounds like the stuff you just sort of say, you know, deep offseason, you know, what else are you going to talk about? But when you look at, and we've kind of done the comparison here of the other quarterbacks kind of sort of rated near Beck in terms of the upcoming Heisman Trophy and things like that, It really isn't inconceivable that Beck could outplay them all. Even a guy like Quinn Ewers, who I didn't think Ewers was great in the uh, game against Washington in the college football playoff. In fact, I think the Ewers challenge may be holding off Arch Manning for the whole season here coming up. You know, Howard at Ohio State, for all the talk of them spending big on free agency, Howard, I don't think, wows anyone. And that's the guy that's going to be, you know, at a place like the Buckeyes with, you know, all the attention that he's going to get there. That. You know, Connor, it is very possible, right? That it, without kind of getting too hyperbolic, that Beck is just better than them all and that Georgia could be this year a little bit more of a quarterback driven team than we're used to seeing Georgia be, right?
1: Yeah. You know, I would think maybe other than parts of the 2022 season when Stetson really stepped up there. Georgia has not been quarterback dependent. Kirby Smart doesn't want to build his roster that way. But when you have a talent like quarterback and I'll co- Carson Beck, and I'll compare him maybe to Quinn Ewers a little bit, uh, Carson Beck is just a more consistent down to down passer than Ewers is. Ewers might have the better arm talent in terms of making those wow throws, but uh, Beck, to his credit, and this is what made I think his play so impressive in his first year as a starter. He was just very even keeled, very consistent and gave you the similar or same type of things on a game to game basis. That's what NFL teams are looking for. And so if he can make some improvements, maybe get a little bit more juice in his arm, Uh, you've already seen he's – you know, very accurate in terms of completion percentage. Can he get a little bit better in terms of ball placement? Uh, I think those are things that from an NFL draft standpoint could lead him to be the number one overall pick. As far as, you know, a Heisman trophy and winning games at Georgia next season, he's going to have talent around him. I- I'll be interested in seeing how quickly it all sort of gels and clicks with him. You know, you're losing Lad McConkie, Brock Bowers, your top two running backs, your starting center and Cedric van brand. Uh, it- I think this is still a very talented Georgia team. And by the end of the season, they're going to be right up there, you know, contending not just for a playoff spot but for a possible buy. but early on with some of the newness and with some of that schedule, you know, they're, they're two of their first four games are against Clemson and Alabama, both away from Sanford stadium. So I think how Beck goes about maybe rising the boats of everyone else on the offense is going to be something that is very important early in the season. If Georgia is able to get through the month of September with a four and Oh record, I think, Think the Carson Carson Beck Heisman talk is only going to be ramped up even further now. Georgia got a long, tougher schedule next year, but with what Georgia opens the season with, and with what we saw from Carson to end the twenty twenty four season in terms of where he was, I think you know it, it's not all that ridiculous. And granted, I've been saying it for quite some time to see him as you know a one one quarterback and also a potential Heisman Trophy winner.
0: Yeah, so let me ask you two quick follow-ups on this because there's another topic I want to uh, get to before we uh, say goodbye here. You know, the one thing I've also said about Beck in comparison to other top quarterbacks is even with the loss of Cedric Von Granger and even with the loss of Amarius Mims, I still believe that Beck probably has the best offensive line of, say, in comparison to Milro with Alabama, they've lost a good bit. Ohio State's had some major offensive line problems. You know, you, you look at other situations across the sport— I think even with what Georgia's lost, I still feel like there's enough depth there to somewhat confidently say that Beck will be playing behind the best offensive line of the other quarterbacks we're kind of comparing him to right now. Is that too ambitious, given the fact that Van Prom was an all-time great and that Mims is a likely first-round pick? Is that too ambitious to still have those expectations for this Georgia offensive line here this year?
1: It's not too ambitious. Maybe right now I'd put Texas a little bit ahead of where Georgia's offensive line is in terms of some of the talent. you look at a guy like Calvin Banks. I think he's more perhaps individually talented than anyone Georgia happens to have. And, and, like, look, center, it's not a sexy position. Cedric Brandt's not going to go in the first round. But the guy who started 44 career games in his time at the University of Georgia, and, you know, it's not maybe like a right tackle or a left tackle position where if it's bad, it's a still. But it's the difference between being like a great offensive line and a good offensive line. You think back to Trey Hill, he was a good offensive lineman, uh, but I think he was playing out of position a bit at center and you just see the change in going from Trey Hill, a good player was drafted, plays for the Cincinnati Bengals right now to going to center Van Pran, a natural center and sort of what he brought there. Uh, you know, look, Georgia's going to surround Jared Wilson. Who's going to be the guy to replace Van Praan with a ton of talent. Van Praan himself has spoken very highly of Jared Wilson. And so, you know, whether it be Dylan Fairchild, Michael Morris, and then obviously Tate Ratledge at the right guard position, maybe even Xavier Truss in there as well. It's a very, very good offensive line. I think how quickly Jared Wilson gets up to speed, I think will be worth watching and seeing there. You know, you see this past year, a guy like Ernest Green was a lot better at the end of the season at that left tackle position than he maybe necessarily was to start the year. And so, you know, specifically, you know, Clemson, their probably best defensive unit is that defensive line. And then Alabama's defensive line, we just saw what they did to Georgia. And, yeah, you know, you lose Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, some of the potency off the edge. They're going to be just as stout up the middle with Jaheim Oates and and Tim Smith coming back. So I think how quickly Jared Wilson takes over the leadership in that room and is able to show what he's able to do as a center – I think is going to tell a lot of the story when it comes to Georgia's offensive line next season.
0: And then finally, one small uh, point I want to make here too. I think one of the things you and I have had some disagreement about over the course of this off season is I think you're a little bit more concerned on George's behalf about some of the wide receiver recruiting issues than I have been. My simple point has been, well, as long as the results are good, the fact they're not kind of bringing in the sort of high, five, you know, high four-star, five-stars on a regular basis is sort of okay with me because they're still scoring at about a 40-point per game level, and maybe they're even more than that this year, and I guess that's the point that I'm kind of getting to. The fact that Beck has a chance to be as good as he is, maybe a little bit like what Patrick Mahomes is doing with kind of a sort of a weird collection of receivers right now in Kansas City. Does Beck's overall skill level mitigate the fact that in terms of what George is bringing in at a high school and the kind of you know major recruiting battles they're winning there at that spot, does that kind of negate some of that a little bit?
1: I don't think it did in the Alabama game. And, and you know, yeah, Lad McConkie was hurt in that game. Brock Bowers was limited as well. And, and so when you're down your top two options, obviously things are going to change with that wide receiver room. But I, I don't think that Georgia fully put the game in the hands of Carson Beck against Alabama. And I think part of that was just because the wide receivers really struggled to get separation in that game. Now, you know, Kool-Aid McKinstry is going to be a top 50 pick. Terry Arnold might be the first cornerback taken in this upcoming draft. That Alabama secondary had a lot of talent in it last year. Obviously, Caleb Downs, uh, Trey Amos, who is now at Ole Miss. Uh, So you can understand maybe Alabama having an edge in that. And perhaps I am putting too much into just one game there. But when you're a team like Georgia and Alabama last season was one of the few teams that can match up with you defensively and what you're able to do, Uh, It it to me does highlight some of the issues they've had. And look, I I wholeheartedly believe that Kirby Smart wants to build through the recruiting rankings. Uh, He does that at quite literally every other position on this team. And and so the fact that they've had to bring in five transfer portal wide receivers at the wide receiver position in the last two two cycles. It at least tells me something there. And yeah, wide receiver with NIL is very different. And, you know, if you're Georgia, you're hoping that the development of Vlad McConkie and him possibly being the top 50 pick uh, sort of helps you sell yourself to future wide receivers. And maybe Dylan Bell a year from now is following in those similar footsteps. Dominic Love it there as well. Uh, it's just for me, you look at how the rest of Georgia is built. The wide receiver position in my mind has clearly been an outlier for a few seasons nowadays, stretched from when Cortez Hankton was the wide receivers coach uh maybe even going back to when james coley was the wide receivers coach it's not in my mind a wide receivers coach position uh it, it is just something that has unfortunately been stigmatized with this university in terms of recruiting and going out and landing elite type wide receivers uh you know mike matthews comes to mind in particular i know yeah. you watch a lot of high school football in this state uh, the list of players who were better this year than Mike Matthews is incredibly small. Yep. So I think to not land types of players like that, uh, you know, at a certain point, I do think it tends to catch up with you. And in losing a guy like Brock Bowers, best tight end in, in college football history, in my opinion, the best player in Georgia football history. Uh, when you lose that, it's going to put a bigger spotlight on these wide receivers next year. When a tight end is still a stacked position for Georgia and going to play a role in this offense. I'm going to have a curious eye with how this wide receiver room looks, even if I do, yes, believe that Carson Beck is going to be able to put the ball in places where his wide receivers can make plays on it.
0: All right, last thing for you, I thought you had a great piece, I think it's going back to last week at dognation.com, looking at the guys that need to sort of stand out from the various position groups. I'm going to let you take this where you want to go with it, but looking at your list, Connor, from that relatively short list, the shorter list than that for me were two of the names you had mentioned – I just think that Jordan Hall and Damon Wilson are incredibly important players for Georgia in this offseason. You know, the real necessity for UGA, I believe, is kind of getting this front seven back to being the true dominant force it was in national championship seasons. You know, however you want to measure that, you know, average yards per carry given up on the ground, you know, tackles for loss. Those were two stats we talked a little bit about on yesterday's show. There's a lot of different ways you can probably kind of quantify this. But, boy, getting those kind of game-wrecking players you know, back at the forefront for Georgia at, at those various position groups, outside linebacker, defensive line, to me, Wilson and Hall, who both, by the way, I still have very high hopes for both players, but in, in terms of, guys, if I could sort of pick a couple of dudes to take that big-neck stride and be really ready to be great for this upcoming season, Hall and Wilson may be the two players I would give that blessing to right now, maybe more than anybody else.
1: Yeah, I think with Hall, this offseason is going to be huge because it's going to be a, a sort of allow him to f- further rework his body and get that in a position uh, to where maybe perhaps he can play more snaps for Georgia next year. Obviously, Damon Wilson, I think with that outside linebacker position, you see all the 2022 guys move on. You know, Michael Williams is going to be a factor at that position. How much on a down to down basis? I'm not sure yet. But in looking at guys like Damon Wilson, a big time recruiting battle that you won against Ohio State, Jordan Hall, five star player. When you recruit those guys, entering your second season, you expect them to be guys that can be every down contributors for you and make bigger impacts moving forward. Well, those guys have had their first years in the system. I don't think either had the year that they had wanted or envisioned. You know, Hall made some waves early, but sort of after the bye week fell off a little bit, and then Damon Wilson ends the year, uh, you know, had meniscus surgery to get that cleaned up there. So I I think entering this second season – there is going to be some of a spotlight on them to to make strides and get better. And they're not the only guys at their respective positions that, that I think you could point to that list of guys that need to step up and win a workout. So I think Christian Miller is a guy who I'm really intrigued by with where we saw him at the end of last season. I, I think at outside linebacker, in, you know, Gabe Harris might be a little bit of a hybrid, but what is he able to give you? out there as well so i think those two guys in particular and look we you know i I think this is an area where you and i both agree last year's front seven was just not what it was when georgia Mm -hmm. won national championships in 2021 and 2022 uh georgia i think finished 20th in the country in rush defense still very good and a lot of teams would take that but it was the first time georgia didn't finish first or second in rush defense in the country since 2018 yeah And, and little areas like that where small drop-offs do make do make a difference over the course of the season i think you saw that maybe perhaps at the end of the alabama game where yeah alabama didn't have a ton of yards but when this georgia defense at the end of that game when they had played a lot of snaps and needed to get a stop because they were only down by three and if they get a stop they get the ball back to the georgia offense uh they were unable to do so so you know Is it next year, is it Damon Wilson making a big play, a big strip stack there, or or Jordan Hall stuffing a a third and two like Alabama was able to do to Georgia? I think that's something that they're going to need from those two guys in particular.
0: Connor, it's so good to be talking to you again, and great to be able to see your face. And sure enough, we appreciate you being a part of this here with us on uh, Dog Nation Daily. We're looking forward to uh, reading a whole lot more from you there at uh, dognation.com, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back here on the uh, program again very soon as well.
1: Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Before I go, I want to give a shout-out to our friend, Abby Jess. She got married this weekend, got a chance to be there for that. Longtime fan and supporter of Dog Nation. She had a hairy dog show up to her wedding. Well, uh, called the dogs Most importantly She led with Whose instead of What's
0: uh, So let me ask you This before we let You go because um, Abby for a lot of the People who don't Know her voice is The one you Frequently hear at The beginning of This show giving a Shout out to the Sponsor wonderful Radio voice uh, great You know part of The Atlanta radio Scene she is sort Of the voice of Dog nation at the Beginning of the Show uh, someone I Count as a friend And someone I Think you count as A very very close Friend so she has Shared some of her Pictures on social Media of her Wedding I have seen Harry, dog there. I was going to show one of those on the show. Do you think that uh, your uh, your presence here mentioning this, does that now give me sort of like, you know, free reign to, to show her wedding photos here on Dog Nation Daily? Do you think that's an okay thing to do?
1: It absolutely does. And I think she would love
0: that. All right. So we'll do that. We love Abby. We're happy for her uh, uh, in her wedding. And she does have some great wedding pictures. You should follow Abby on social media, Abby Jessen. Uh, you can see some of that. But we may uh, put some of that on the screen here a little bit later on. It's something about seeing like hairy dog and wedding dress together that I think looks really good. So Abby was clearly having a uh, great time. Well deserved indeed. I'm glad you had fun with that. And obviously, we'll look forward to uh, seeing Abby, uh, the newly minted married Abby Jessen here uh, the, uh, in the uh, very near future there as well. Connor, thanks for your time we'll talk to you soon
1: yep looking forward to it let's take a
0: look around the rest of the league this is sec 3 yeah like the one thing that sometimes you forget when you do a show like this is is we just sort of grab stuff on the internet and put it on the screen it's like do we have that person's consent to blast their face all over now i don't dox people even like the knuckleheads from the other fan bases that are always you know saying stupid stuff to me i, I don't even dox them like so we don't we don't, we, don't, we don't put people on blast or anything like that. But uh, I did see the photos of Abby. I was like, I'm going to show sure one of those in the screen. We'll give her a golden shoe. And uh, then I realized, well, maybe that maybe there's some degree of privacy we have to respect here. But no, we'll do that. Uh, gra- uh, glad to see her enjoying a, a wonderful wedding ceremony and glad to uh, you know see her so happily married. What a great thing all of that is. Now, let me tell you what else is great. That is our friends from Royal Caribbean. We're getting ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I'll tell you, as I reflect back on the time that I just had on Icon of the Seas, man, it gets me so excited for what we're going to be doing coming up in April on board Allure of the Seas. And I'll tell you, for me, one of the things that I probably love about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation more than anything else is—and you see right there coming off of Icon, the uh, brand new Aqua Dome. If you're watching on video, you see that. Uh, I mean, so many fun things with Icon. But what I love is—is is that at night, you know, you have a nice dinner and you go see a show or something like that. But then, you know, all throughout the rest of the night, deep into the late night, you know, Royal Caribbean's got all of these. You know, uh, spots, la bars, lounges on the uh, ship, and they've all got their own version of live music, and you can sort of move from spot to spot and just enjoy all of it. There's a place called Music Hall. I think I mentioned this yesterday. they got great rock music. There's a band called Phoenix playing while we were there, and I'm talking about this is like a really, really good rock band playing all the kind of rock and roll hits that you know from throughout the years. Everybody's singing along. Everybody's dancing. That's a lot of fun, and we sort of bounce from that. You go to a place called Dueling Pianos, And it's like, if you've ever seen like sort of the dueling piano style show, two really very funny, talented musicians, you know, they'll take any request, they'll play any song, they kind of joke and play along with each other as they're doing that. And this is the sort of like bar hopping thing, you know, kind of pub crawl type thing that my wife and I probably on a regular basis, we don't really get to do at this stage of our life. We've got kids, not an easy thing for us to do on a pretty regular basis. But, you know, on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship, that's very easy to do and something we did every single night we were on board. Icon of the Seas really made the most of all of that and that's why I want to see so many of you on board Allure of the Seas because when we do this together You know, I feel like we get a chance to get to know some of our people, people who are great supporters of Dog Nation Daily and readers of DogNation.com. We get to spend more time with them and get to know them better on a Dog Nation cruise than really any other point in time during the year. So my invitation to you is, and we're really kind of down to the wire here on this because, you know, the ship sells out. Our space for our Dog Nation cruise is really limited. We're like right up against the sort of the final spots here. For our dog nation cruise we're almost completely sold out on that so please give jessica slater a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 you can also email her jay slater at dreamvacations.com find out more about the Dog Nation cruise. And if you want to go to RoyalDogs.com, of course, dog spelled out D-A-W-G-S, RoyalDogs.com, you can get the information you need, but you gotta act fast here on this. This It's not one of those things you've got between now and the day before the ship leaves to uh, make your decision here on this. And if you've been talking to Jessica and some of her friends about being on board, time to go ahead and get that final payment taken care of because we gotta get you on board and get ready to go. The ship is actually leaving before you know it. So we need you ready to go on all of that. All right, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC now. And Auburn has made what I think has to be described as a controversial hire, bringing in D.J. Durkin as defensive coordinator. Now, a lot of SEC teams have hired Durkin, as uh, Chris Lowe was more than happy to point out yesterday, um, uh, as he kind of broke the news for ESPN. But the issue for Durkin is, is going back to his time as Maryland defensive coordinator. Unfortunately, a player named Jordan McNair died of heat stroke during a, a Maryland practice. And I'm going to be very honest about this. I think there's a degree to which, at times, Durkin has taken the blame for this that perhaps is unfair. The truth is, I'm not really an expert on anything involving Maryland football. I don't really know what happened with McNair necessarily, nor do I know what role Durkin may have played in this. I do know that in the immediate aftermath of it happening, there were some media types that came down very hard on Durkin. And obviously, anytime a player passes away, there's going to be you know sort of a serious, uh, I guess, consideration of what might have gone on there. I don't know that anything significant's ever been proven about you know Durkin's vomit or or s- somehow this could have been different. You know, it seems like like a lot of things a very complicated story, but it is one of those issues that sort of lingers around Durkin. And even if some of his connection to that has been a little bit unfair, and I think there's a degree to some of it that where maybe you could say that maybe. It is the kind of thing that creates an uncomfortable conversation for Auburn. At this point in time, I'm going to sort of bring this back to football because obviously that's the thing we probably feel the most comfortable talking about when it comes to something like this. And so when you've got a defensive coordinator where parents are going to be looking at the resume saying, wait, what happened in what year? And, you know— whether it's fair or not, whether it's true or not, you know, parents are concerned about where they send their sons to go play. And a controversial topic like this is just going to create a little bit of friction in the recruiting process for Auburn, which, you know, last year you worked at Texas A&M. You know, no one's seemingly afraid of hiring DJ Durkin. They've presumably done their due diligence on this. They presumably, you know, feel good about their, you know, a willingness and ability to hire Durkin here. But the problem for Auburn is, is Auburn's already got its own controversial head coach. For very different reasons, you've got parents looking at the resume of Q Freeze and saying, he did what with who and what? And so you got that going on. Then you got now, for a very different situation, some of those same parents, considering should I send my son to Auburn, are looking at the story as it relates to uh, DJ Durkin. All of this feels like, the word I used a moment ago, a lot of friction in the recruiting process for Auburn right now. Durkin's pretty clearly a good coach. You wouldn't keep getting jobs if he wasn't. But, boy, in terms of... Some pretty tough questions to try to answer to go along with a head coach who still has some pretty tough questions of his own to try to answer. Auburn seems to have a very high tolerance for this type of thing. And so we'll see how that works out for them on the recruiting trail here right now. So <laughs> yesterday I made a little bit of an error. And listen, I probably make errors a lot, but we have a little bit of a rundown here. Now I mostly sort of doodle on my rundowns. So I'm not gonna um I'm not going to show it to you right now. But there's an order of topics that I like to try to hit, and every now and then I'll skip over one. I believe yesterday I skipped over this. So Michigan has officially made Sharon Moore its head coach. Jim Harbaugh is now the coach of the Chargers. This all sort of happened while I was gone. Moore, who drew rave reviews uh, as an interim coach. And I guess here's the one good thing. When you have a head coach suspended for two different things for multiple games within the same season – You get a lot of experience for the next guy. And so Sharon Moore was essentially head coach for half the season for Michigan this year, as it was. And so, therefore, now he gets a chance to be the full-time head coach. And all of this seems to be really well-received. I guess the one part of this that I do find to be somewhat fascinating is there had been kind of like some of those, what do you call them, like, you know, just sort of early day rumors, you know, the kind of little bulb starting to pop up of rumors involving, well, maybe Brian Kelly wants to leave LSU. Maybe he wants to go back up north where he's a little bit more comfortable. Obviously, that never really materialized because from the word go, it sort of seemed like Moore was kind of the guy for Michigan. I have no idea if he'll be successful or not. They seem to be happy, so they would probably know better than me on that. But as I said before, you know, down here, this was one of those things of well, does this become a spot where uh, Brian Kelly could get involved? Or another name that I thought you could have maybe heard here that you just never heard anything about, that's Mark Stoops. You know, Mark Stoops wanted to leave Kentucky, was thought to be kind of unhappy at Kentucky, kind of feuding with John Calipari or Mitch Barnhart, the athletic director whatever, was going to take the Texas a m jobs. Essentially a fan revolt prevented that from happening. And I thought, well, you know, if the Michigan job came open, maybe Stoops would be a candidate for that, a guy that's kind of comfortable in the uh, in the Midwest as it is. Well, that job never really went on the open market either. Moore was their guy. So a couple of SEC coaches that could have perhaps been on the move. Stoops, seemingly unhappy, and yet kind of stuck maybe for now. Uh, Kelly, who you thought you kind of – there, you know, rumors came from somewhere. That doesn't really materialize very much here either. And if anything, when you look at bringing back Corey Raymond, bringing back Austin Thomas uh, in kind of an off-field role – uh, it looks like bringing in Bo Davis, the big as defensive line coach, it looks, if anything, that Brian Kelly's actually taking some time to sort of solidify himself as the LSU coach right now. So that's pretty interesting. A couple other stories here, we'll do this kind of quick. Uh, Michael Penix is in Mobile for the Senior Bowl right now, as Connor said. We've got uh, a lot of Dog Nation folks on hand there for that event. Penix was asked about his former coach, Kalen DeBoer, now in Alabama. And Penix gives what? I think at first blush, sort of feels like it should be a big money quote, the kind of thing that gets everybody excited. He says within three years, he thinks that Kalen DeBoer win a national championship at Alabama. That sort of seems like a bold statement until you realize – that's what you're supposed to do. At a place like Alabama, you're supposed to win national championships every three years or within a three-year period of time. And if he doesn't win a national championship or at least come very close to competing for a national championship, then he probably won't be there much past three years. That's something that Steve Spurrier said the other day. And you know that sort of seems like a bold statement here, too. But listen, the SEC is a little bit of a short-term proposition. You know, I have a lot of guys coaching in this league for 20 and 30 years. At a time, you know, you were there to win, and that takes a lot out of you—the energy you have to put into that sort of success. And sometimes this is a little bit of a year-to-year, short-term type process, you know, proposition. So, uh, you know, Pennix sort of gives DeBoer the compliment of, "I believe you won a national championship within three years." Alabama fans would say, "Is it going to really take three years for this to happen?" That's this is the issue about Alabama. You can come from Seattle to Tuscaloosa and have more talent at your disposal than you've ever had before. But it also comes with the expectations that go along with that. So, Pennix makes a what seemingly looks like a pretty bold claim here. But in terms of Alabama, if he wins one national championship in three years, you know all that will be in the eyes of Crimson Tide fans is just sort of the most meager attempt to even meet the expectations that they sort of have for him. Now, I want to give you one more here. So, Reese Davis doing his uh, you know does his podcast things like that. So he was uh, talking about Ryan Day and the pressure starting to grow around him. I'll read this quote to you. He says, "I don't believe there is any real heat, nor should there be, on Ryan Day." This is on the ESPN Game Day podcast. But Reese Davis goes on to say, "There are discontented fractions of fans that every school in America has. If you don't win every game and cover every spread and raise the national championship trophy, it's always amazing to me, you know, how much more comfortable." media types like Davis. I don't dislike Davis, but they're always so much more comfortable sort of ragging on fans and they are taking any kind of shot at any kind of like true power broker, coach player, things like that. You know, it, <laughs> there's a certain type of like establishment media that saves their hottest take for fans, and it sort of keeps them from running afoul of coaches, players. can't help but notice that sometimes. Uh, that's just for free. But he does go on to say, Reese Davis, that there might be some real discontent if Ohio State, let's say, does win the Big Ten or or go to the playoff, either lose a home game in the first round or lose in the quarterfinal. And you spend whatever the total ends up being and you don't get more out of it than you had. So ultimately, Reese Davis kind of validates the opinion that some Ohio State fans have. Now listen, I don't like Ohio State. I don't like Ohio State fans. I find them to be, frankly, pretty annoying. Most of you do as well. But this is where Ohio State fans are no different than Georgia fans or Alabama fans who we also have our issues with from time to time or any other sort of major fan base in one of these big programs. If you're a fan of one of these teams, you play with so many built-in advantages. The idea of going 10-2, and two, it is sort of meaningless. I mean, listen, you know – circumstances, things like that happen, whatever else. But this idea of, you know, if you're an Ohio State fan, you're supposed to be happy losing to Michigan every year. Of course, you're not supposed to be happy with that. And if you're the coach at Ohio State, of course, you're supposed to do this more on a regular basis. And if you don't like that, there are a lot of other places that you can coach where you don't have to beat Michigan on a semi-regular basis in order to stay employed. But you know, I'm going to defend Ohio State fans in this a little bit the same way I would defend Georgia fans if they were in the same spot here. The expectations are high because the resources are so prevalent and the uh, the opportunities and the advantages are so robust. So if you don't want to be – this goes back to what we were just saying about De DeBoer. If you don't want to be at a place where winning is expected, there are jobs you can take. And frankly, in this day and age, those jobs pay pretty well. But if you want to have the best job and if you want to be the best – there's an expectation that you'll actually achieve some of those things that you aspire to do. It will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. couple of golden shoes we say goodbye to you here today. By the way, speaking of Royal Caribbean... So our buddy Lee shares this with me, saying, Great seeing you back today. Thought I caught a glimpse of you taking in Inter-Miami's New Jersey, that's the MLS team, uh, sponsoring Icon of the Seas last week. He says, Hope you enjoyed your time on board. I'll be waiting uh, on that uh, selfie with uh, me and Messi, he says. Very funny stuff. Uh, Golden shoe, hashtag he gives us there. And what lee's sharing with us here is from the naming ceremony from the icon the other day the entire inner miami team kind of shows off their new jerseys the royal caribbean logo there on the front i think that's a really fun thing to be able to see uh indeed lino messi luis suarez all looking very sharp uh, they call them kits in soccer i say jersey they're actually called kits so uh very nice stuff there from that will give lee a golden shoe on that front, how about another Golden Shoe coming the way of Kirby? Is Elite on uh, on Axe, who reminds us that today is now 5,500 total days since Florida's won a national championship? He gave us this yet Cowboy Dog. He calls himself. He gave this to us yesterday as a little bit of a hint. This was on the way. So we are now at 5,500 days since Florida's won a national championship. That is funny stuff. We'll give Cowboy Dog a golden shoe for that. And our own version of our own little counter here, our Gator Hater Updater, we will remind you that not only is Florida looking at a long national title drought; it's now been 1179 days since they've beaten Georgia. Folks, that is why they are the lousy, stinking Gators. And we love it. We can't get enough of it. We'll see you back here tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily.